And so I knew that I, I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to see this thing come to, to fruition. And so for me, it was like I burned the boats. There was no going back. The only way was to go forward. And that was one thing that kept me personally going, especially in those first two, three, four years. The slog was horrendous. But what kept me going was the only way to move was forward. And so, okay, so what do you do? You just, you really just focus on what are the things that you can do to make results happen. And you just do those things. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Reaching out across the pond to Brian Clayton. Uh, he's the founder of Green, Pla- Green Pal. Um, Brian is a serial entrepreneur. Green Pal is like the Uber to, to garden care, lawn care. And I'm really, really privileged to have him on the show today because we're going to talk about growing, scaling, bootstrapping businesses. We're going to talk about changing marketplaces and also sort of preparing a business so that maybe you can have an exit in the foreseeable future. So, uh, Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So please share with our listeners across the world, uh, share a bit about your business journey, your background. Yeah, yeah. So lifelong entrepreneur. I've never had a job. I've always worked for myself. I started, uh, I, I get, got into entrepreneurship kicking and screaming when my dad forced me to mow my first yard. I was like 14 or 15 years old and it was a hot summer day and he came into my into my room and interrupted uh, me playing Nintendo and said, hey, we have a job to do. We're going to go cut the neighbor's grass. And he and I went over and mowed the neighbor's yard and made like 20 bucks. We split that. And ever since then, I was hooked on entrepreneurship. Brilliant. I actually uh, started mowing yards uh, all through high school, all through college. Yep. And as I was in college, I was actually growing this lawn mowing business into a real business. Um, and over 15 years time, I, I grew that company from just myself and a push mower to over 150 employees. Um, after reaching around $10 million a year in annual revenue with that company and building it to one of the largest landscaping businesses in the state of Tennessee, uh, that business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And so going from zero revenue to $10 million in revenue over 15 years was a, was a journey that taught me a lot about building businesses from scratch with no outside capital and, and uh, just kind of helped me hone my ethos as, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur. And uh, after, I, after I sold that business, I took some time off and decided I wanted to get back in the game. I wanted to get back in the trenches. And for me, the next business idea was pretty obvious. I saw what Uber and Lyft were doing for ride sharing, what Airbnb was doing for accommodations in terms of disruption and innovation. And I thought, a platform and a marketplace needs to exist for lawn mowing services. And I took all of the knowledge that I learned over the last 15 years and just plowed that into this idea to start GreenPal, the marketplace for ordering lawn mowing services. It's as simple as ordering an Uber. Amazing. And presumably this was your first foray into, into tech, into, uh, into building a platform and uh, a, a SaaS model. So how did you over, did you have any apprehension about this, a brand new space for you? Or did you um, just immediately, because you had the domain knowledge of the industry, you just hired in the technical smarts that you needed? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I think one of the things I had going for me was my was my naivete on how hard that was going to be. I really thought, okay, I know the tacit knowledge around how this business works inside and out, and I can just apply that to tech and, and we'll be off to the races. Um, in fact, I recruited two co-founders and the three of us had no, no knowledge on how to build software and how to distribute software, how to design software. And so the and how first to run version, the software business. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting in the software business into the tech business and none of us have any actual tech knowledge. And so we were very naive uh, in thinking that we could pull this thing off. And to a degree that was like beneficial for us. It helped us kind of just get started because if we had known uh, how hard it was going to be, we'd have never done it. Huh. Um, looking back, I'm glad we did, but the first three or four years were excruciatingly hard because to your point, not only do we have to like figure out this new business model and how to architect this marketplace, but we also had to teach ourselves how to execute and uh, building software, how to code, how to, how to, oh, how right. to, so you actually got, you rolled your sleeves up with tons of writing code. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the, so it was after a very, very, very painful lesson. The first version of GreenPow, we paid a de development agency, a dev shop here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, something like around $150,000 to build the first version. And we genuinely felt like, okay, if we just build, pay somebody to build it, we'll market it and we'll hustle up the users and then we'll just be off and running. And that's not how it worked out. Uh, after spending six months with these, with these guys building this thing, we, re we released it, launched it, and it was a total failure. It was a piece of crap. It didn't really work that well. Users were confused by it. And, and we just were really, really, really disheartened with, with how it went. And so we understood, okay, it's a painful lesson to understand, okay, if we're going to be in the tech business, we're going to have to learn how to write code. We're going to have to learn how to design software. And so all of us just wow. really just, just hunkered down and, and, and just toiled over every online class we could, every, really? every YouTube video we could, no um, and teaching ourselves, yeah, how to, how to write software, how wow. to design software. And, and more importantly, um, how to, how to distribute and market software. And it, and it took years uh, for us to like reinvent ourselves as, as entrepreneurs. And little by little, we started to acquire the skills we needed to self execute. And then all, and then as time went on and as we started to get a trickle of, of revenue, we were able to reinvest that revenue and hiring people to help us along the way to build this thing. But I'm intrigued by the thought process after after it, what turned out to be burning 150 grand and mm -hmm. it was a, a, a crap product that you automatically thought that you had to figure it out yourself and code yourself as opposed to go find an, another dev development house. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a painful lesson and it was one that was just so glaring because there was just so many things that needed to be done that we just realized we the, the, it would just we never would make it if we didn't have these skills wow. in house and so one of the one of the things that did help us was that yeah, this was probably 2013 2014 so it was right around the air that, that the lean startup came out we, we we poured over that book and that was a good book to help us understand kind of how you kind of like forge your way through the unknown uh, through experimentation and there was another book called the startup owner's manual by an author named Steve blank and 
one of uh, the ethos of, the, of that book is that you have to get out of the building. And what that means is, is you have to talk to your users face to face and you have to really understand what it is that uh, they're looking for, what their problems are and where you're coming up short and where you maybe are, are close, but not quite there. And we actually were able to do that. So the first version that, that was a total failure, we got at least a few hundred people to try it. And the way we did that is we just, we passed out uh, door hangers, flyers all around Nashville, Tennessee, something like a hundred thousand of these door hangers. We, we stomped all over, uh, all over Tennessee, passing these things out to try to hustle up the first couple hundred people. People to, to try to use the platform. You know, fast forward seven years, we have 200,000 people use the thing on a weekly basis. Um, but back then, nobody knew about it. And, and we really just needed somebody to try to use it so we could meet with them and talk to them and, and try to learn about where we needed to take this thing. And so through that process of what they call customer development, um, we began to, to realize, wow, this is gonna be way harder than we thought it was gonna be. There's a million things that we have to build to make this make the magical push a button, get the lawn mode uh, functionality work. Uh, and so we just came to understand the gravity of, of how difficult the, the, the journey was going to be. And, and step one was like, we have to be able to like self-execute these things and, and not only be able to like self-execute them, to like manufacture that momentum in the early days, but also to be able to delegate and be able to manage teams later on to do this stuff. If you don't know how to do it personally, it's really difficult, maybe even impossible to manage a team to, to execute it. So absolutely committed that the the concept was right, that uh, to create a marketplace in the lawn care space was was a, there was demand for it. Mark, so that given the fact that you'd validated the concept around the marketplace, you knew it was a longer term play, and you needed to get skilled up and be able to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Shockingly, you know, seven years later, the, the initial idea is really no different. We we yeah. knew that uh, at least I, you know I knew fifteen years in the industry, I had experienced this problem. My first business was was a landscaping business, and and as that company grew over over fifteen years, we no longer did residential lawn mowing but we had like something like a hundred trucks all over town every day. And so we were visible in the marketplace, but homeowners would call us frantic every day, just needing somebody to come mow their yard and they couldn't get anybody to return their call. And so I saw this problem. I knew the problem existed. Um, what I didn't, what I under indexed on was how difficult the technological solution was going to be to build. And so that was what the smack in the face was. And did you, um, did, did you and your, your, your two uh, co-founders, did you take to coding like ducks to water or, or, or is it kind of quite a tough journey for you to, cause yeah, it's not absolutely. easy, is it? I don't know. Absolutely. I've never coded. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and so I think for some people, yeah, it's just one of those things kind of like somebody sees a piano and they just learn, they just can like, like learn it very quickly, which I'm not inclined for either. But uh, for me, no, it was excruciatingly hard to learn. Wow. I learned front end code and, and uh, my co-founder learned back end, back end code. And so wow. while he was, uh, he is more engineering uh, kind of tilted than I am. It wasn't easy for him either. Um, it's not something that he just loves to do. Like, Ideally, if you're going to start a tech company, you're the type of person that has just been hacking on stuff for like 10 or 20 years, right? Yeah, In high yeah. school, you were like yeah, building yeah. websites and widgets and little fun yeah. projects because you love doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and so like, ideally that's like how, like in your DNA, that was not the case for any of us. We, we had, it was like pulling teeth for us to pick up these concepts 
and learn how this stuff works and how to, and how to actually like but physically it, but do it. It speaks so much to your perseverance and determination, you know, all, all, all respect for, for sticking with it then because, wow. Well, so it's like, for me, it was, it was always like a burn the boats type of thing. Um, I didn't, I, I, I knew uh, after selling my first business and understanding I, about myself that I'm wired to love business. I'm wired to be in the game. And so like, it brings me joy. And so I knew that, I had no other alternative. There's only so many beaches you can lay on. And so I knew that I, I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to see this thing come to, to fruition. And so for me, it was like I burned the boats. There was no going back. The only way was to go forward. And that was one thing that kept me personally going, especially in those first two, three, four years. The slog was just horrendous. But what kept me going was the only way to move was forward. And so, okay, so what do you do? You just, you really just focus on what are the things that you can do to make results happen. And you just do those things to, uh, like me and how I've come to evolve as a businessman is a book called the seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the philosophies of that book is that you have a, a circle of, of influence and then you have like a circle of concern and circle of concern is all the stuff you could be like worried about and stuff. But the circle of influence is this very small circle inside of that. And it's actually the, the things that you can like take action on to actually make progress happen. And so that was a very simple like concept for me is like, okay, what can I do? I can get better at front end code. I can get better at content writing. I can actually do these things. Let's just rinse and repeat, keep doing that. And if you do that over a year, two years, you wake up in a very different world than you were two years ago. Hi, Gavin here. I wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you to all of you who have bought a copy of my book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. The feedback's been excellent. Copies have gone to all four corners of the planet. I'm so grateful and humbled. I also wanted to let you know that now the audiobook version is out. The audio format can be got from audible.co.uk or audible.com or from my website, surviveandthrive.cc. It was a lot of fun recording the audiobook, and hopefully you'll pick up my passion as I take you through all the insights, strategies, and case studies to help you not only survive, but thrive through uncertain times. So go to audible.com or audible.co.uk to check out Survive and Thrive by Gavin Preston, or grab it from my website, surviveandthrive.cc. So presumably, even though you launched with uh, after your hundred and fifty thousand spend with a version of the t- uh, of the marketplace that wasn't acceptable or wasn't good enough, you kept running with that because to, 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 you needed to generate revenue whilst you learned yeah. the code and learned to code. Yeah. yeah, yeah, had that thing out there for a year, and um, you know the first dozen users are friends and family, and they're like, "What the hell are you doing with your life, man?" You know, like this thing's a piece of crap. The app crashes. Like you had this huge company and now you're like piddling with this thing. What the, like my brother was just, was just dumbfounded. Like he's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, so the first year was very much that. And, you know, we're, we're behind the scenes. We're, we're like just grinding on the second version. The second version was much better, but it still sucked. And so, uh, you know, it was one of those things. It was very much a leap of faith in the early days that just keep driving for, keep working on the thing because if we can dial it in and get it right, it's something that we can make very big quickly. And, and that's, that's kind of how it happened. But the first three or four years were, were, were an exercise in faith. So you're focusing on getting the product right. So did you have other people in the business that were still promoting from a marketing point of view and get it and, and get in the, the, the platform out there? Yeah. 
and so in the early days, it was just, you know, my two co-founders and I, us three, we had a couple of little helpers here and there, some virtual assistants, maybe some contractors, but it was very much just us three contracting. Now, now fast forward today, we're a team of 25 people, you know, 200,000 people using the platform, something like 3,000 lawn mowing services use it every day to run their business. But uh, in those early days, it was like the numbers were in the dozens and it was just us three. And so you, 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 and it helps like in the, in the early, early days to have, be like a generalist to like be like half assed good at a lot of different things. And that's kind of the way we were. So not only were we writing code, designing software, writing content, we were also having to market the thing and, and try to like figure out what, what user acquisition strategies we needed to focus on. And there's a, there's a misconception like as an entrepreneur that you don't, you know, you don't have to like put in the hours and maybe there's like work life balance. And I think like in those early days of starting a business, yeah, maybe you, you, you only get four or five good hours a day and maybe you should only really be working 40 or 50 hours. I, I agree with that. But the reality is there's another 50 hours that you're going to have to be learning. And so like, like in, in total, it's like seven days a week and it's a hundred hours a week if you're going to make it because like half the time you need to be learning like, how are you going to innovate on this thing? And so for us, we had to, we had to figure out, okay, not only do we have to build the product and figure out how to like dial that in. And then we have to like figure out a way to orchestrate this marketplace and like try and like experiment in that. But then we also have to innovate on what our user acquisition strategy is and how we're going to be able to like get people to use this thing at, at a price that we can afford. And a lot of that was just toiling over, listening to podcasts and YouTube videos that anything we get our hands on people that were much smarter than us that had done some of this stuff before. And we just kind of robbed and stole from their strategies. Um, one thing that I did in the early days was <clears throat> I drove for Uber. I drove for Lyft. I delivered really? food on Postmates. I delivered food on DoorDash. I, I walked dogs on Rover and WAG. I cleaned houses on, on, uh, Home joy that was that has since closed. I used every one of these platforms as a way to like learn from okay, how are they reaching their clients and how are they marketing to them and how are they treating their suppliers and how are they crafting these products? And I learned a little bit from every single one of these these platforms that were well funded, that all, you know, in the aggregate probably has something like two or three billion dollars of of venture capital that they're, they're putting to work. So they're able to experiment a lot faster and learn from learn than I was because I, I had raised no capital. And so I was able to learn from how they were executing and apply that to our platform, almost like, you know, as a way of free learning. And uh, that was very hugely instrumental in the early days to try to like almost draft, like they're, they're going a thousand miles an hour and I'm just kind of drafting them going like 50 miles an hour. Um, but it allowed me to, to, to avoid some mistakes that, Otherwise, we, we, we may not have be here if we had not done that the right way. So were you doing all this consec uh, um, consecutively, sorry, uh, uh, simultaneously, <laughs> get the right word. Uh, so you were learning to code. You were, you were uh, as, as a driver or as a dog walker or as a cleaner, you were testing out the other platform-based services and, and what the user experience was from both sides. And you were... Um, growing a, a new business all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it was very Whoa. much like, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to like uh, romanticize That's that insane. grind and that hustle, but it very much was seven o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, six, yeah. seven days a week for years. And, and not only that, but and, and another paradigm is like my two co-founders, 
I mean, they, I mean, we couldn't pay ourselves hardly anything. And so, yeah. and so they're having to live off like a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks a week, like $10 a day food budgets <laughs> to, to try to like pour every little dime we could back into business. Because I think, I think one thing that gets misunderstood is like in the early days of starting a business, you are your business. And so yeah, for sure. one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Cuban. Uh, he says like the least amount of money you can live on, the greater your options as an entrepreneur. And so, you know, these guys were in their mid thirties, uh, approaching 40 years old and, you know, with roommates and, you know, living four deep in a, in an apartment, you know, this is not the life that they had envisioned at 40, <laughs> but, but they could live on a thousand bucks a month. Wow. And so, and so like that right there was, was like a huge competitive advantage for us because God. we're in Nashville, Tennessee, which is relatively uh, economical place to live in. You know, our rent in our office is 400 bucks a month. Our co-founders can live off of two or $300 a week. So we're able to take every single dime and pour it back into user acquisition and, and like hiring better engineers than what we are. Like we would hire engineers in, in, in still do. Uh, engineers in uh, in in all all over the world, but for instance, like Pakistan or India, and pay them two grand a week because they're just awesome. Meanwhile, my co-founder's making three hundred bucks, so we would pay engineers in uh, in third world countries like way more money than we were making, but they were much better at what we were doing than we were, and so that was just something that we had to do to like manufacture the momentum. And how how did you? When you when you're running so hard, the hustle you're putting the hours in, and you're doing that consistently, and you're pushing forward on on learning, market research, development, etc. You're getting physically and mentally tired. Mm. How did you keep the um, the wisdom, the sanity to know that you were running in the right direction? In other words, you were making the right calls because in those situations, your head's down, you're pushing hard, you're yeah. possibly quite tired most of the time. You could be pushing, you know, the mower down the wrong around the wrong yard. So yeah. how how did you how did you make uh, sure or keep, try and keep yourself on the right track and that all that energy and effort was going in the right direction? Absolutely. It's, it's hard to know sometimes because I think there is like value in not giving up, but pivoting and recognizing that you've, you've reached a necessary ending. So I don't, I don't think the, the only answer is to never give up, but for us, we just didn't give up. And, and, but, but we had some evidence, like we were at least like doubling every year. Granted in the early years, those numbers were hilariously small. The first year we made like $10,000 total. But at least the second year we made thirty <laughs> as a total, and like, and like the year after that we made a hundred, and the year after that like we made like five hundred, and the year after that we made a made a million dollars, and now this year we're going to do twenty million in revenue, and so, wow. so at least, you know, we were doubling the revenue, and like it was growing, although it was so it was just very small in the early days. At least we had that. I'll never forget, you know, in in the early days, year two or three. There was a Saturday, we were all working, and something like we had 30 or 40 signups on a Saturday, which was the most we had ever had on a Saturday, and I didn't know any of them. I didn't know any of these people. So, and so in the early days, like 
you would, right side. You would, you would kind of know that you would, you would, you would, you would know some of the people because you, maybe you told them about it or, or they were a friend of a friend or, or something. So I didn't know any of these people. 40 people had discovered the website and they signed up. And for me, that, I was like, wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's very small, but if, if we could do that here, maybe, you know, do this, maybe this could actually be something. And so there's little moments like that, uh, that were, that were glimmers of hope that if you just keep grinding on it, you, you'll, you'll be able to build it to be something. Um, the other thing that kind of helps, um, there's a book, uh, the, an author by the name of Simon Sinek, uh, who's a favorite author of mine. He had, you know, start, he, his famous book is start with why he, he just wrote a book called the infinite game. Oh, I haven't read it. But uh, from what I understand is, is like the, the way to win is to not give up is, is the essence of that book. And like, if you look at like the revolutionary war the, you know, the United States viewed that uh, as an infinite game. Um, and whereas the British didn't. And, but if you look at the, the Vietnam war, uh, it was the inverse. The United States yeah. didn't like had a timeline. We were trying to like figure out, you know, and so, and so that's how you can kind of like dictate your outcome is if you just view it as an infinite game by default, um, and you, then the way to win is just to not give up. And so that's kind of like how we've approached this. We know that this was going to be a 10, 20 year thing. And that we just, if we just kept grinding on it, we would, we would, we would eventually get enough compound interest kind of banked that it would actually be something. And, and, you know, here we are, we're, we're still small, you know, but we have hundreds of thousands of users and, and, and eight figures in revenue. And so uh, it's still day one, but at least we, we now manufacture some, we have some money to reinvest into continuing to grow. And uh, as a market, was it still able to trade during, during lockdowns because it was an outdoor service or, or has your or had your business been uh, uh, adversely affected by COVID? You got very lucky. You know, you, you, I coached some, some, some entrepreneurs and business owners in Nashville, just as a fun hobby for free. And, you know, I think this COVID thing is like, if you, if you got hit, you get a target on your back, it, you just, it's just unlucky. It didn't matter how good of a business person you were. For us, we got very lucky that, that we were able to ride the, the, the trend of contactless ordering, contactless commerce. Okay. Um, and so, so was that already like, in place at the beginning or was that something that you had to adapt? This, this is the way we were built day one. Now, now it was something that we punched up in our value proposition and how we communicated with our, with our homeowners and how we communicated quite frankly to the press. We've gotten all kinds of press about, about our method of ordering this law, this service to get done. And you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to meet with anybody. And so we've gotten a lot of press about it, which drives signups. People are, 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 we're growing through this. Um, we haven't, we haven't noticed any downturn at all. So for us, it's, it's helped us, um, in terms of, we were already oriented to kind of like capitalize on this set, you know, whereas in a lot of businesses, there's nothing you could do. You just had to like sit there and wait it out. So we got lucky, uh, like DoorDash and Postmates and Uber Eats, they're all having huge years, uh, Instacart. And we're kind of riding, we're kind of riding that, that tide. So, um, the guys going out there, um, mowing the yards, they were, they were basically turning up on site with all of their own equipment. It was a contactless transaction. So the home moon, they basically just stayed indoors. So their yards were still getting done, but they just stayed indoors. Yeah. Typically you would have to meet with these people, walk around the yard. You would have to like have physical interaction with them. And with our, with our technology, you don't, you don't even have to talk to them. You could literally just order it like an Uber or order it like a pizza. And so, while you know, day year one, we, 
we didn't even have that. Like, but here we are seven years in, we've been, we've been positioned to capitalize on it. Well, as a lot of business owners, it doesn't matter what you've done. Like if you're in the, you're in the travel industry, it didn't matter. You just have to wait it out. Yeah. 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 So business has grown throughout the, this year then. Luckily. Yeah. Fortunately. And then have you um, sort of diversified or added on to in terms of your offering to that core customer base then? So uh, have you got into doing like your landscape projects rather than just maintenance, you know, garden maintenance? Good question. So I think when you're building a marketplace, you have to like make your bets early on. You have to have a strategy of, are you going to go wide or are you going to go deep? Yeah, yeah. And so what's worked for us is that we go very, very, very deep on one thing. And so like, if you arrive at our, at our website or at a landing page, you, we try to get you to understand in three seconds where you are, what you can do here and why it even matters. And so we, we try to like make it as simple as possible that, that, that a five-year-old understands, Oh, this is how I get my grass cut. If we hadn't done that day one and still to this day, we probably wouldn't be here because, um, if you're trying to like do all of these things with a technology driven solution, it's hard. Like you become like not really good at any of them. And, and then, and then like, it doesn't matter and you're not able to like manufacture any kind of uh, a critical mass. And so for us, we focus on this one thing, lawn mowing, you, you sign up in less than 60 seconds, you'll have five different providers to choose from read reviews, hire who you want to work with. They come out and mow the yard. If that goes well, then you can book them for the rest of the, of the lawn mowing season. And it just happens uh, magically in the background. Now that's, that's how like 90% of people experience green pal on the first use. And, and, and actually they probably never even heard of green pal. Uh, they just did a Google search and, and they, they happened upon our website and they're like, okay, I'll try this. And then, and then they, oh, it actually worked. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh yeah, set it up. Then after all of that goes well, then and only then can you say, okay, I want my shrubs done. I, I need mulch. I need fertilizing. I need pressure washing. I need snow plowing. I need gutter cleaning. And so then after you're set up with your provider through our platform, you can then add on all of these things like a menu. And then like it's one solution for all of your yard maintenance. But for but we have to bring you through that journey to get you here. If we put all of that up here, there is no you can't really order these services off the shelf. Somebody needs to have visited your property. They needed to have measured it. They needed to have like quoted it. And so, only after the service provider has, has gotten familiar with your property, he quotes these things for you, and and then you can order them off of the shelf. But you can't do that at the home screen. And so that's how we have come to like um, form our strategy on 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 making it simple, just dead simple for, for somebody to use. They, they just, they just get it like that. And then, then they can use it for all these other things. So as uh, robotics grow and uh, for then 5g networks are going to be rolled out. Are you looking into kind of like drone cutting, you know, mowers <laughs> or anything like that? So while the, I mean, they're, you know, like 10 years ago, the robotic lawnmowers were, were, were laughable. Here we are, you know, 2020, they're still pretty good. I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're not, it's not like a, it's not like a thing you can just buy them and put them in the yard and he just mows. Like you have to like lay like this wire around the yard. So it's still kind of janky. I liken it to like, you have a Roomba, but you still need a maid. Like you're still going to, 
you need somebody to polish the the sink. You're still gonna need somebody to clean the tub. And so, like a like a landscaper, he does more than just mow. Like he edges, he gets the weeds out of the beds. Like he blows the driveway off, you know. And so for me, I, I think we'll have uh, we will have the the maid from the Jetsons. I can't remember her name. Uh, we'll have her like robot cleaning your house, polishing it top to bottom before we have millions of unattended spinning blades just running yeah. through the suburbs. So yeah. that's kind of the way we look at it. So maybe it's another 10, 20 years, maybe 50. I don't know, but we're not, it's not like our, like on a SWOT analysis. That's not our yeah. biggest threat right now. <laughs> and geographically purely the U S or why, uh, or have you moved, uh, you know, further South over the border? So we're, we're nationwide in the United States. We've, we've spent six years, distributing this platform city by city because when you're in a locally constrained marketplace like this you can't just blow it out you have to really like launch every single town and city individually because you have to get the suppliers on board get them vetted and then you have to start to market the to the homeowners and then you have to create this kind of magic between them to to get the flywheel going in every town so we've just methodically have rolled out to every uh, major city in the United States. And we're still going deep in the United States in terms of, of cities and towns that have like population of 50, 75,000 people. After we get that completed, we're going to go into Canada, UK, Australia, and that's probably going to happen in the next two to three years. Amazing. Amazing. And by then, obviously your systems are in place. The technology is constantly improving. You know how to roll it out into new territories. Um, and one question I was going to ask in any marketplace, you've got to have both buyers or sellers. Which one do you start with? I think you just answered that question is you, you, the, the sellers, the suppliers, the, the contractors is where you start. Yes. That's how it's worked for us. Um, and it's not always the case with every marketplace. Like, some people believe you always just should go for supply side first, but that's not necessarily always the case. But for us, that is how it, how it works. And when we launched our first city, uh, we spent three years in Nashville before we went to anywhere. You know, we had, which it was only in Nashville. And our second city was Tampa, Florida. And I, and like, I know the inside of every coffee shop in Tampa because I have met with hundreds of lawn mowing services in that town. And so I physically went there. I interviewed all of these guys and gals and made sure they'd be a good fit for our platform because if we didn't get that right, it would have been lights out. And that's still how we approach it. We don't do face-to-face -face interviews anymore. We have a more scalable way to do it, but we do re we recruit the suppliers first, get them on board, and then we market to, to homeowners that give, begin making those matches. The thing is, if you don't do that right and you don't get a little bit of critical mass, in, yeah. the, in the town or city and then it doesn't ever take off. And yeah. so like we'll have, we'll have a city like Knoxville, Tennessee, which has uh, more, more population. It has like a hundred, 200,000 people that live there. We'll do more transactions in Knoxville, Tennessee than we will in like a town like Salt Lake city, uh, Utah, which has a couple million people because yeah. we got this right and we didn't get this right. And right. so it's, it's just, it's just funny how like when you get the magic and the flywheel going in one of these marketplaces at a local level, it takes off. If you don't do that right, it's like a dud and it never goes anywhere. Competition. How have you dealt with that? I know you've got a high barrier to your entry because of the platform evidently and the work that you went into that, but, um, surely you're not the only guys in town in that space to have felt, Hey, we could take the Uber idea and we can bring it to this, this, uh, sector. Yeah. So as far as competition, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's a trite answer, but our competition really is a status quo. It's like, you don't necessarily know about 
you can just push a button and get this done. And so you're still going to call and dial for dollars and like call 10 service providers, leave 10 voicemails, maybe, maybe one of them returns your call. Then you got to meet with them, get a quote, haggle over the price. Like that is the journey that 90% of people still go through in 2020 to, to find somebody to mow their yard. That said, let's say you get past that and you do like come to Google and you're saying like lawn mowing service nearby me. And then you, you look at these options. So you've got some other, you've got some options. You can use like a website like Angie's List or Home Advisor. Um, those are more directories or like Yelp. You can, uh, and then, but you still have to poll these users. You still kind of have to like figure out their availability and all of their pricing. So it's, it's a little better than not having any solution, but like that's, that's another option. So that's, and that's most, a lot of people still do that. Um, but then let's say let's say we you, you come across GreenPal. GreenPal is the the only end to end like push a button, get quotes, hire them, get it done, pay them, schedule them for the rest of the lawn mowing season, season for the lawn mowing service you want to work with. There are a couple of other players in the space that um, are similar, but they're more like Uber in the sense that their lawn mowing services are their subcontractors. And so it's it's like if you have a problem with the service, you call them. You don't have a relationship with your service provider. We're a little different. We don't want to replace that relationship with the service provider. We don't believe these service providers are like fungible commodities. They're actually unique in their own way. And 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 there's a different, there's a better fit for, for some and there's a better fit for others. Let, let's say you just, let's say you want almost like a private gardener and you want like five star quality. That's a very different service provider than like, oh, I have a rental house that I just want mowed once every three weeks so the city doesn't find me. So these aren't commodity type services like, like a driver for Uber. And so we don't want to be the better landscaping company. We want to be the technology in the marketplace that just makes it happen like magic. And so there really is no direct competition, but in terms of like reaching a homeowner that is needing to get this service done, there is some competition in that conversation that, that we deal with. You uh, no doubt got as much energy now as you, you, you did when you started at the age of 14. How, how have you kept the enthusiasm, the energy after all the hundred hour weeks that you put in over the years? How have you, how do you keep it fresh and, and, yeah. and, and, and interesting? Uh, I was, well, was after I sold my first business, I, I can't, I, you know, I had, I had a moment of self-discovery to understand that that business is just in my DNA. It's what it's, I'm wired to love it. I like winning. I like building teams that, that get stuff done. I like creating success uh, for people around me. I like seeing uh, progress. I like when people get value out of something that I've been a part of. So these are things that like at a existential, like, like they just, they just bring me joy at, at, like from a, from a life standpoint. So for me, it's just like by default, I'm going to be a part of something driving the ball forward on something. Um, so that said, it's like, okay, what's my best idea and let's work on it. This is for the last eight years, this is my best idea. So there is no alternative for me. And so kind of that build the boats mentality is what causes me to, to, uh, to stay in there and stay in the trenches and keep this thing going. Now it's gotten to be a little fun because we're making money. We can reinvest the money and we can like see the rewards from that. In the early days, man, it just, it just wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun, but we kept uh, going and I'm glad yeah. we did. <laughs> there's, a, there's a crazy dude in the UK that decided uh, he's going to swim all the way around the coast of the UK, a guy called Ross Edgley, something like uh, 1,750 miles. He did Unreal. 
And he, uh, oh. he, what was his quote? His quote was, I was naive enough to start yeah, and stubborn enough to finish. Golly. I mean, isn't that, isn't that true? And, and like, I, uh, I think you almost have to have a fanaticism uh, to, to build something from scratch and see it all the way through. You have to be fanatical about that outcome, almost irrationally so, to, to make it. And, it, and that's the thing that kind of like gets you through the unpleasant periods. For sure. Um, presumably it's not quite a hundred hour weeks at this stage. Uh, so how do you, how do you recharge now? Yeah. You know, no, thank God. Um, I, I think you can run really hard for three or four years. Um, and then you gotta, you kind of need to get them. You got to manufacture the momentum and get the flywheel going. Um, because you can't go that hard for a decade. At least I couldn't. Um, some guys can, gals can, but I can't. Um, so now, now I'm more like, I'm more like 40, 50 hour weeks, more comfortable. I love to travel. I'm going to come to UK. Um, maybe I'll come up there in, in the Northern part of the country and hang out with you. I love to travel. Travel is a big, is a big passion of mine. And so, and so for me, like, like bit like business and, and, and my personal life just are just one and the same. And my business is the thing that enables me to do fun stuff like travel. And so like, I look at it like the business is the energy is like the engine of prosperity in my life and enables me to go do fun stuff traveling around the world. Awesome. Uh, Brian, you're an inspiration and, uh, your, the, the bit I still am in genuine awe and respect about that you and your two co-founders started to learn to code and came up with a better product than a professional coding outfit which is just just phenomenal well, i appreciate it man I'm, but i'm glad those days are over <laughs> i bet you are i bet you are you're you're absolute star so if anybody wants obviously if they want to find out about how they could take advantage of uh green pal services they want their yard mowing then where do they go to all you got to do is just go to the app store or play store. Just look up green pal. You can download it. Um, and then, or you can go to our website, yourgreenpal.com. Anybody wants to reach out to me, you can actually just email me, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at yourgreenpal.com. If you're an entrepreneur or business owner, like put me on second or third base so I can kind of help you. I was going to say that if there's anybody listening to this, that's either um, in the business in, 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 in the landscaping business or in, in, in the garden business in the UK um, and, and they want to help all Australia or Canada and they want to help uh, you bring green pal to those new territories. How do they reach out to you? Yeah, just hit me up, hit me up on email. Uh, Brian at your Brian, your star. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Sarah, for reaching out to get you on the show. It's been a, a real privilege to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, I loved it. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.